The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only Tammy, the underdog Underwood. Say, ow, burbert. <laughs> my wolf man, Jack. No, that's not, that, that was my werewolf oh, black no, lady. Oh, no, that's awesome. Buddy Holly did that. I'm not Buddy Holly, but Big Bopper. Yeah. Oh, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was thinking. It's like, what I like. I was thinking like a black lady as a, vam- as, as a werewolf, like Medea or something. You're so weird. <laughs> Although I can see Tyler Perry doing a, uh, um, like a satirical werewolf thing. Now I'm thinking of Samuel L. Jackson as one. Oh, motherfucker! I know. Get these motherfucking snakes off this motherfucking plane <laughs> right motherfucking now. <laughs> love Samuel L. Jackson. Dude, Except I love Samuel L. Jackson. I hated him in Star Wars. What, because he didn't say the motherfucker? Not even once. He, yeah, because it's a PG-13 movie. It doesn't matter. You have Samuel L. Jackson in the movie. You know, he has to say it at least. Like, seriously. You know what? The, yeah, because they can say the word fuck twice in a PG-13 movie. See? Twice. And he, he could have just looked at, you know, like Anakin at least once. Go, Sit your motherfucking ass down. Like, Boy. <laughs> motherfucker, you ain't no Jedi. <laughs> you think you ain't no Jedi, motherfucker? <laughs> Then I would have been happy. I would have been happy. I would have been stoked. I'm like, okay, no. Well, you know, I watched a documentary on it where he said that the reason why his lightsaber is purple and nobody else's is, is because he insisted on it. So when they had the faraway pans on the fight scenes, that he could point out to his kids, that's me right there. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Good for you. Because yeah, everybody yeah. else's is red, blue, or green. Mine would be pink. Yeah, just like your lightsaber is now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I had to think of how to word that delicately. <laughs> it's my pink moisture mistle of love. Okay, now you ruined it. Just ask your mom. Oh, she knows now all you about really it. really ruined it. She knows all about it. Trust me. Joel, if you're listening, please do that thing we talked about tomorrow. No, Thanks. It, it's, <laughs> it's okay because, you know, she likes, she's, just a, she's a former nurse. So, of course, she has to see the moisture mistle of love. Joel, please. Tomorrow would be great. Thanks. <laughs> we're, we're not so secret lovers. Joel, I'm begging you. Tomorrow. Thanks. <laughs> it's weird. Your mom won't be begging for long. She doesn't have to. I'm done. <laughs> I know Joel's going to get a kick out of that. He's an amazing guy. I love Joel, man. I know. When I finally, when I went up and introduced myself at that one show, he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's you. I'm like, I'm not nobody special. <laughs> I haven't gotten to see Joel like all week long. Oh, no. And oh, no, sucks. Mr. Bill. Yeah, because like, normally I see him like in the mornings or something. Oh, yeah, or after work. Or I after work. I hanging out a little bit. Yeah, you know, and it's just, it's kind of depressing because like, and I, I never thought that I'd be like, and I'm going to out myself to Joel, like a little schoolgirl looking for him. Like I pull into like, you know. Is Joel the here? Is Joel here? Is Joel here? I am looking around. <laughs> Where's Joel? Where's he at? And then I'll see a truck that looks like his. And then- like, Your logbook has I heart Joel all over it's it. Bad. It's horrible. <laughs> Scott Balthazar, Mr. Scott Balthazar. <laughs> Me with a ball gag in my mouth and a bottle of lube. You know how it goes. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. Joel is just wonderful, man. He I just is. I love he is. him. His wife is wonderful, and she their is. girl is a, their, their daughter is just I know. Adorable. She was so painfully shy. I felt bad for her, you know, <laughs> because you and I, we're not shy at all. No. So, you know, it's like, it was really like when she was so shy, it's like, oh, honey, <laughs> you know, but no. And, and I will say this on the air. Joel, before I met you even, I would see you when I'd go pick up Scott at work when I was staying here. 
And I told Scott, dang, that guy's good looking. And Scott would always clarify me, clarify by saying, but he's married. I just want you to know, I respect your marriage. I respect the fact you're married, but it doesn't mean you're not good looking. No, no, she doesn't. <laughs> I tell you what, that's why I'm getting you a taser, brother. Because if she gets a little too close, you taste, taste, taste. Put, oh, no, put I'm just saying, just because you're married doesn't diminish your good looks. No, but, I'm you know, married. I do respect your marriage. <laughs> him him and, and, and his wife and the kid. They they're, are they're, amazing. They're just amazing, yes. amazing people. Love them to death. They are, which makes me wonder why he has such good friends with you. Because I'm awesome. Where? Well, I'll tell you what. It's because I made a Mexican joke. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can see that. I can see it. He seems like that type of guy that, you know what, he, he doesn't take himself that seriously either. So I don't know if I told this on air or not, but uh, here's how Joel and I met. He had just started working for the trucking company that I work for. And uh, I'm at Perina. I'm talking to the lady behind the counter. And uh, her name is Brenda. I go, hey, watch this, man. This is going to go one of two ways. <laughs> he, he walks in. I'm a face nerd. Then we hire all these damn Mexicans out here taking our jobs and everything. Then my brain kicked this. Dude, it's going to go one of two ways. Either he's going to stab you or he's going to laugh. And he said, that's right, man. I'm here to take your job. <laughs> and I bet he said it with a thick Mexican accent, too, right? Oh, yeah. He did. He, it, was, it was awesome. So we both cracked up about it. We were talking about that a few weeks ago on the phone. Um, oh, yeah. You know. The, the jokes and everything like that. But uh, Joel brought up a good point. You have the right to choose not to be offended. Exactly. Exactly. Because a joke is a joke. And that's why, I mean, ever since that bad, him and I, been, we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty tight. And he's, he's freaking just an, an amazing well, guy. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I believe there's racism is out there. Oh, I yeah. believe that it can be used to the extreme. And I'm not going to deny that. However... Today's generation needs to lighten the fuck up because when you joke about something, it diminishes that stigma. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. That negative stigma. And it's like, I think that's why I like Cat Williams so much as a comedian because he will make fun of, like you, every single race. Yeah. Every nationality, he does not care, including his own. Yeah, I'm, you know? I'm not racist. I will make fun of black people. I make fun of white people a lot. And actually, I'm more and more frustrated with white people than anything else because white people have more of these woke assholes. Oh, my God. The ones that are offended for other people's. Yeah. I got to talk about Jen Dahl because her and I were texting <laughs> back and forth. I, number one, I promised I'd call her a twat waffle on, a, on an episode again because she... Apparently, I said that on the. Uh, you did call you did call her that because she talked about the, the catheters. catheters, you know. So this twat waffle had me cracking up. Um, <laughs> you promised not to do it. <laughs> so I did it anyway. Um, she, she was talking to a coworker who is one of these woke people, and she goes, "This is where woke comes to die." <laughs> and I have never heard a better statement in my life oh my goodness that is so funny i know because she actually she sent me a message on facebook yesterday it says when you get a chance can you send me the link for the visit and i was like sure no problem and i like sent it right away i said she goes that was quick i said okay of all the things i've been asked to do today this was the easiest i said because you just don't know how busy i've been you know because and i'll plug you guys because you haven't said it yet i'm going to say it thank you the band is being i'm not going to plug you Oh, I'm thanks. Gonna, you know, because I know you would enjoy that. Too. <laughs> anyway, no, the band actually, they just really, Twisted Blue just released their first debut album. And they're actually, they're on the way of getting recognized by being featured in a very predominant, well-respected UK magazine. And so we've been putting together that interview. And plus uh, yeah. the BBC. Yes. And um, yeah, the promotions are going to be, you know, being, the album's going to be promoted internationally. 
And so I've been really working on that. So when she said, hey, can you send me the link? I'm like, oh, here you go, honey. Thank you for making this easy. So I, I, got, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, honestly, when I got that email and read it, I had to read it a couple of times before I forwarded it to you because I was literally almost in tears. Right. I remember when I you mean, called me about it. To be, I mean, for, for a debut album that I've been trying to... On an Dude. independent label. Yeah, on an independent label. Yeah. But I've been trying to get this album done for years, and there's been so many freaking changes. And to be recognized within our right. first month by a well-respected magazine. Um, within the first two weeks. I will put that out there. It was within the first two weeks. Was it? Oh, yeah, Yeah, it was, because huh? we've been doing negotiations with them for like two weeks now, and we're finally getting it hammered out, yeah. But, yeah, to, to be recognized and then, you know, and then knowing that we're going to get promoted on like the BBC which yes. is the European radio and, yes. and things like that is just honestly it's it's overwhelming and I was right I was I damn near cried yeah I mean because I, well, my and, songs mean a lot to me and then exactly. Matt's song mean, Matt's songs mean a lot to him because yes I mean him and I are the ones who write yes I mean and that's true I mean and like I said I know you haven't said anything but I refuse to go another day without saying it and <laughs> recognizing you because. I mean, the album itself is amazing. It's phenomenal. And, um, but at the same time for you guys, like I said, independent label, low budget, you know, to try to pull it all together, all the, you know, all that other stuff, so much has gone into it. And like Jen Dahl said, she goes, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. What an honor. I said, it is for them. You know, that's why I'm trying to hurry up and get it done to make it, to help make it happen. You yeah. know what I mean? I set the budget so. at $5,000. Which is re- stupid low. It that is very low for uh, people who think, oh my god, that's all for an album release. That's low. So to give you guys perspective, when I work on anybody else's album at a major studio, um, their budget is usually right around fifty, sixty, seventy thousand right. dollars to to complete the album. Right. Because I bill out at two hundred and fifty dollars an hour when I go in. Good thing I get you for free. <laughs> yes, you do. and all my fabulousness and bad jokes. Uh, yeah, but I'm okay. not the only, I'm not the only one who does that. So, if, you know, if, if they need somebody to correct the song and to to write different parts to it, um, I'm your guy, and it's 250 the, bucks now. Yeah, plus the mixing and the remastering, and yeah, yeah then you have you have engineers in expensive. there. Expensive. Engineers got to get paid. Producers yes. got to get paid. True. Um, <clears throat> everybody's got to get their 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 piece of the action. So it's a it's a larger amount Correct. of money that major record labels can invest right. my personal record label which is twisted blue yeah twisted blue studios yes. studios we didn't have ten thousand twenty forty fifty thousand yeah. um, dollars no, but you know it, i figured we can cover up to five grand and the best part is is that everybody chipped in their their, their money to do i didn't have to cover right, all the expenses it, yeah well and not just that is considering you know what i mean considering that it is independent label and all that other stuff and not all of that you know, high production went into it. The fact that it is being recognized so early on in its release is amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Like, honestly, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm used to the albums that I've, that, that I've helped write, you right. know, and projects like that getting recognized uh, as soon as they get released. I'm used to that. Right. But now I'm looking at. It's in your own name though. It, it, it's, yeah. Now it's, it, it's, it's me. Yeah. And it's, it's me that's singing most of the songs and this is just and and, and, and hearing that and my boys man oh, hearing my totally. boys in my band totally. man, my brothers um you know and i say brothers only because we're we're all super close we're not physically related yeah. but it's, it's a brotherhood exactly exactly and just to hear 
it's little things. Like in the studio, Johnny goes like this: "Goes, hey man, like let's do some acoustic parts to these songs and bury it way down in the mix. It'll make it more full." And I'm like, "We'll do that. It's just going to burn time." But it's just, it's it's your first time in the studio. I think it's worthless. But yeah, we'll 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 do it. Not a problem. And sure as shit, it sounds better, huh? It brought out this fullness in it, mm-hmm. you know, and um, just it, the. There's tons of layers mm-hmm. to each song, and everything has been gone over meticulously. Like, literally, there was one or two songs where Matt and I went, um, no, we don't like that because it's like I, I miss a note right here. Or it's not exactly, exactly like I like it. Right. And we went in, we, we re-recorded, and right. we did it, and we did it, and we did it until it was absolutely Fucking perfect. Right, right. No, I mean, I get it. I, I totally get it. And, you know, I think Matt said it best when he said, we keep it simple. Mm-hmm. But then when I was thinking about that, I didn't want it to seem like your music was basic. So it's like, yeah, your lyrics are simple, but your mu- your musicality is complex. The instrumentals are Very. complex. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I don't know if you've met this guy. Uh, he was at he he came to see our last show, Fred Bolts. Yes, I have. Okay, so Fred even mentioned to me today. He goes, "Your bass player is freaking amazing." Yes, because our music, while it sounds simple and it looks simple, there's a lot of complexities to it. Right. It's actually it's very complex. Exactly, and it's very intensely played while using simple chords if that makes any sense to anybody out there well no yeah it makes i mean well anybody who has any like basic knowledge of music should be able to understand that but yeah yeah and it's it's the culmination of everybody and let me explain before you land base me everybody knows their place for example like johnny is a way better guitar player than i am when it comes to leads Right. And John admits that he's not a very good, I mean, he's a singer, but he's not, you know, that you're a better singer. And, oh, right. Yeah. And, so, yeah, he told and, me that himself. And Johnny and I have talked about it. Like, he goes, man, I can I can put music to anything that you write, but I'm not a lyricist. I can't write lyrics for shit. I've tried. I can't do it. So that's where Matt and I come in. Matt and I get together and we go, hey, man, we're uh, the, like, um, it, Matt gave me the idea he goes, we need something that's, and, and this is all he gave me. He said, we need something to get people on the dance floor and get them moving. So okay. um, I started writing that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's going to be a very driving song. Okay. But I kind of got the beat in my head, and I start I, I, because that's how Matt and I communicate. Okay. Um, he, he, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy that if somebody says, hey, I have this idea, I need a... And, this is no matter what the genre is, because I work in all genres. Yes, not so you much do. country because country bores me, and I don't like writing pop. But um, and he doesn't do rap because he's not that good. But okay, I am an awesome rapper. That's why my stuff, my name, my, my name is obscenely white, and I have notorious PIG and gangsta goat. Yo, whatever, dude, your bass player flows better than you. But <laughs> <Just saying. laughs> I'm that guy. Whether it's orchestral music or it's heavy metal, right, or blues. You can tell me, like, uh, with orchestral music, I get this uh, for seasons a lot. Like, hey, we're coming into our winter season, our, win- our, our winter set, so we need something about uh, that, that sounds almost a little holiday-ish, like Christmas and coming into the new year and, um, and something like that. And it has to represent the snow and the ice because we live in, like, Boston and maybe some wind. That's what we need. Okay, I can write that. That's, that's not a right. problem. I can write that musically. No problem. 
And with Matt saying we need to, to get something that's driving that that influences people to get out and, and move and dance, I can write that because you set that in my head and now I'm, I play out that movie. Right. In my head. Right. And I make that movie into a reality. So, side note, does this new song have anything to do with giving people tequila first? No, it does not. Ah, that sucks, but okay. That's the only way I get on the dance floor because that's when I know I think I have rhythm. I get on the dance floor and I look like I'm having a fucking seizure. I know, dude. I saw you at the last show. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were wrestling that mic stand like nobody's business. And I think you might have won, but I, it might have been a tough. Uh, that's why we're going to a totally wireless system because that <laughs> one was wired in. And my plan was to do uh, was take it off the stand because it's wired. Yeah, and, but that and, didn't work so well. <laughs> and, and none of that was our equipment except for the mics. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? From now on, we're bringing our own shit. We need our wireless mics. We need our wireless in-ear monitors. Everything like that to do a venue. Yeah, it was, but it was so... I literally saw you fighting a, a mic stand, and it was hilarious. It almost kicked my ass. It, it almost that. did. Like I said, I could have thought... I could say you won, but I think it was more of a tie. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Murder. But anyways. I died Greg. Anyways, so yeah. So let's get into part three. Of the werewolf syndrome. Now, there, there's two more parts. We'll do the next part, the last part next week. But I left off after talking about Giles incident where he was probably a victim of mass hysteria. But this next case I'm going to talk about is more reminiscent of what we see in serial killers today. Now, with this case, it happened in France on December 14th, 1598. And it, a man known only as the Demon Taylor or the werewolf of Chalon, was arraigned on murder charges. Now, according to reports, his crimes were so appalling when the trial was officially over, all of the court records were destroyed. The authorities didn't want any written account of his actions, hoping that would prevent others from learning about his horrific deeds. Nonetheless, they could not stop the villagers from gossiping and writing their own accounts, right? Gossiping bastards. Gossiping bastards. Now, you didn't hear it from me. <laughs> so you didn't hear it from me. But Betty but. Lou over there, I'm pretty sure that she's a werewolf and one of them vampires. <laughs> I'm not saying that she is. I'm just saying I ain't never seen her play with anything that's silver. Right, right. Or cro- wooden cross. Or- and she doesn't even go to church or nothing. Heathenistic plot. Heathen. Heathen. So according to the legend, the unnamed man owned and operated a successful tailor shop in Paris, France. He would roam the neighborhood and lure young children back to the basement of his shop. I can relate. (laughs) I know. When he had them down there, the sexual sadist would torture the child. And after he was finished, quote, playing with them, he would slice their throats. Once his victim was dead, he would cut them up and prepare them like a butcher prepares a lamb roast to consume their flesh. Now, if the man couldn't find a potential victim on the streets, he'd roam the wooded areas nearby to hunt his prey. However, stories indicate that he wasn't a human when he searched for children in the woods. In fact, he was better able to find them because he had taken on the form of a wolf. Now, tales of his exploits claim he murdered dozens of children, and it's said that when the authorities finally discovered what he was doing, they raided and searched his tailor shop, and when they reached his cellar, they, they were... Found tailor, they, they found Taylor Swift. No, dude. And she was, she, she was complaining about high school boys that broke her heart. No. Even though she's like fucking, what, What about Sean 40? Taylor, or John Taylor, and Roger Taylor, and 
Andy Taylor from Duran Duran. You didn't think of them. No, they don't count. Oh, that's right, because they're only hungry like the wolf. Like the wolf. Why? <laughs> Why? Because they can't speak proper freaking English. So you know what? The guys from Duran Duran, kiss my ass. You guys are retarded. Go back to school, learn how to speak properly, and then come back. Then come back with a different song. Come back with a different song, you jackasses. Hungry like the wolf. There's more than one wolf that's hungry at any given time, you fucking retard. I hate you. So anyways... Um, they were horrified by what they found. Apparently, he had several barrels stored down there, and each one was open. The officers were shocked to learn some were filled with smell-felling, foul-smelling, foul-smelling items, while others contained bleach bones. Hold on, hold on. Was one of them filled with my son? That's Maybe. a smell. That's a that's a that smell-felling. That could be a smell-felling. <laughs> so tails. Oh wait, it the man. Oh, wait, no, wait. According to the legend, those bones were from the young children he victimized. Now, it's unclear whether the bones were human, as the official reports have been destroyed. So these details might just be the result of dramatic licensing by the storytellers as well. Apparently, the demon Taylor was tried and convicted in record time. After the courts found him guilty, he received the death penalty. As we have seen many times over the cases from cases pre-20th century, his sentence was carried out swiftly as well. To make an example out of him, the village magistrates ordered him to be burned at the stake. Now, best-selling author Nigel Blundell wrote about the execution. I fucking love that name, Nigel, by the way. Do you? Like, okay. Off track a little bit. There's a, uh, uh, an Asian cook, and he calls himself Uncle Roger. And he's hilarious. But his real name is Nigel something or other. The name Nigel, number one, tells me very much that you're from the U.K., I was going to say, and for Asian, that's a weird name. Uh, very. And because he, he's from Indonesia. And they oh, immigrate. gotcha, gotcha. He, yeah, he, they have a UK influence, yes. Yeah, and he immigrated to the UK. Thank you. Um, and uh, But uh, the name Nigel always makes me sound like, and it doesn't matter. This, this dude could be homeless. Uh, my name is Nigel Printagrass. I think that you're royalty. And I was going to say, do you picture him in like that three-piece vested suit with the top hat and the, oh, the yeah. uh, pocket watch chain and the, uh, the little eyeglass piece? And- exactly. <laughs> like, like, like Mr. Peanut from Planners. Yes. And he looks at his the little cane. pocket watch and he goes, oh, I must be getting home now. Mary will be expecting me. Cheerio. And then he goes, cop, 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 and goes away. <laughs> I, you know what? I can, I can kind of see that. So anyways, he wrote about that, the execution of the werewolf of Shalon. And his account talks about how a large crowd of villagers gathered on the day the perpetrator was set to die. Everyone from miles around wanted to see him suffer the way he made his victims suffer. Do you know what you call a, uh, a large crowd like that? What? A large crowd. Duh. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes when I expect you to be stupid, you're even stupider. <laughs> so you can't get any stupider. Hold my beer. Watch this. This is going to be great. As the, oh, my as the flames intensified around him and people around smelled the unmistakable odor of burnt flesh, the odious man maintained his resolve. He displayed no remorse or empathy for those who had lost their lives. He maintained his innocence and never admitted to committing the horrific acts. And he never pled for forgiveness for anything he may have done wrong in his life ever. Damn right. Now, however, Blundell wrote, quote, he could be heard cursing and blaspheming to the very end. As a result, everyone who witnessed the execution left with their own opinion regarding the matter. The way he conducted himself until the second he took his last breath was a sure sign he truly had sold his soul to the devil. Now, 
the Neff's account is... Hold on. Let's back up a little bit. Okay. It, you didn't say nothing about him being a werewolf, though. No, I did. I said that... That I missed... Oh, because yeah, they called him the, the werewolf of Landale. No. Yeah, they called him the werewolf of Shalon. However, oh, Shalon. when he wasn't luring kids from the neighborhood, he would go to the woods dressed as a wolf. It's still... Okay, yeah. that one there, that, that's a mental condition. That's not yeah. true lycanthropy. Yeah. That dude's just a freaking nut job. He's no different than the child murderers and the child molesters of today. Yes. No freaking difference. So you know what? That guy there killed the son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I mean, I agree with you. I Like I said, this is more reminiscent of an actual serial killer. Oh, totally. Yeah. So he, he, He's a worthless freaking child killer and probably child molester. Oh, probably. So, yeah. I, I, I have no totally. love for him. That's, that's not true werewolfism. That's oh, not, right. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Now, this next account is also in that same year, 1598, in the village of Saint-Claude, Euro, France. And it involves two sisters, a brother, and his son. Sounds like a bad porno. But anyway. I I saw that one. And it was from France. Are you sure it wasn't from Germany? No, I'm kidding. No, Germans involve uh, freaking, you know, fecal matter and vomit. Yeah. Nasty ass. That's gross. So, Frank. In fact, this case, the case of the Gondolin family, is one of the most historically documented cases involving lycanthropy. Now, there have been numerous reports involving sightings of, of and violent acts committed by a single werewolf. However, according to the book, The Encyclopedia of Vampires, Werewolves, and Other Monsters by Rosemary Ellen Gilly, or Goulet, G-U-I-L-E-Y. That's Goulet. Okay, anyways. The following case sets a precedence because it's said to involve a whole family or pack of werewolves. As the story goes, in the spring of 1598, a four-year-old by the name of Benoit Bidel. Benoit. Is that like Benoit Balls? No, those are amazing. Oh, how would I know? I don't know. Wow. Because you're a hooker, that's why. So are Benoit glass eggs, but whatever. I don't know. Jesus I've heard. So I've heard. Christ. A friend told me. That, yeah. That's a way different podcast. <laughs> Anywho. So anyways, I want to stress this. Four-year-old Benoit Bidel. Benoit Balls Bidel. And, yeah. Gotcha. And his sister were picking strawberries along the outskirts of St. Claude. Since kids will be kids, when the siblings came upon a tree, he climbed it. Once he was off the ground, a beast emerged from the tree line. It appeared to be a wolf, but there were... but. Where there should have been paws, it had human hands. Now, when this unusual-looking creature charged at his sister, Benoit leapt down from the tree and pulled a knife from his waistband. When he tried to stab the beast with his knife, it snatched the weapon from his grasp and tossed it aside. Then the animal grabbed him, bit him on the neck, and scampered away, escaping into the forest. Are you sure he wasn't just trying to make out with him? Okay, well, I'm... Getting to something. Give me a minute here. Some local peasants were in the area, and when they heard sounds of distress, they rushed over to Benoit and his sister, who was ble- and he was ble- bleeding profusely. His sister was standing off to, to the side, completely unharmed. As the four-year-old boy... Uh, he did that at four years old? Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Right before wow. he gasped his final breath, he told the people gathering what he saw and what happened to him. Um, when the young child succumbed to his injuries, the gathering villagers became furious how dare an animal attack a human for no reason i can't even make fun of him that's that's well, see, my pretty whole fucking thing is, brave how before. did a four-year-old do this that's a brave ass no four-year-old. four-year-old i know would know how to wield a knife well it's it's back in you know like dark ages and shit oh, that's true so he's gonna know how to use knives and shit that's but true four. i mean i was gonna say because my son would always sit in the kitchen stand in the kitchen and watch me cook so when he was that young i would give him like a butter knife to chop the vegetables 
And, of course, he learned how to use a knife from that. But I cannot see him wielding a knife at the age of four. To- my, my only issue is, like, where's mom and dad? Because at four years old, in my head, like, okay, I've got pictures of Jake playing in the snow when he was, like, five years old. Right. Okay? Five going on six. And I was freezing my ass off. True. But he wanted to go play in the snow. We were, uh, in, in, you know, with some other kids. And I wanted to go inside. I didn't because my son's outside. And I don't trust anybody. Well, this is where is everybody? Even a small village, man. I was gonna say, but look at this was back before pedophiles. No, there was pedophiles, and they just didn't get reported. Oh, that's true too. Bastards. Um, hang on. I'm over here getting all sauced. I know. Um, let's see. I I misspelled. I wrote something wrong, so I gotta correct it. And you reminds me. I gotta send a text message to your mom. Okay. Anyways. Um, and so how dared this animal attack a human for no unprovoked, right? So as they chased through the forest looking for the rogue animal, they came across Pernet Gondolin. Now, at first, they dismissed their presence. Then they took a closer look. The tattered dress she was wearing was drenched in blood. And since there wasn't a comprehensible explanation for her appearance, the mob assumed she was the perpetrator and sought justice for Benoit on the spot. According to the reports and articles I've read, they tore her limb from limb. In other words, that angry mob acted as judge, jury, and executioner that day. For the little girl? No, for the because they said that she, this girl, this young woman killed the little boy. What the hell? Right. France, now, what the hell's wrong with you people? Right, exactly. Well, and I found some reports regarding the events of that day, which stated that she might have admitted she was the wolf the mob was looking for. However, the truth is, it didn't matter whether she was the perpetrator or she was an innocent bystander. She wasn't well-liked by the other, other villagers. Oh, that's a fucking popularity yeah, contest is what exactly. that is. Therefore, Let's find a reason to fuck with this girl. they were more than happy to place the blame on her. Now, you'll find out here, the worst part about this case isn't the fact that an angry mob may have persecuted an innocent bystander. That's horrible. The issue with this incident is Pernet wasn't the only individual accused and punished for a crime that was reportedly committed by one individual and or creature. Now, the Gundlin family comprised Pernet, her sister Antoinette, their brother Pierre, and his son Jorge. Now, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back the fuck up. Or George or G. We have... Well, hold on. Okay. We, we have very French names. We have Antoinette. We have Pierre. And then you go, Jorge. <laughs> well, or... Yeah, because I can't think of any other way to pronounce it. Maybe it's Georges. It could be Georges. Georges. Because God dang, man, Jorge. I mean, God Because, <laughs> okay, this French is a beautiful language. I wish that I spoke it. It's not one of the seven languages that I speak. Um, is that because it, it's romantic and you're not very romantic? I am very romantic, more me. Whatever, okay. Pepe Le Pew. Just not to you. Ah, um, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Like, I, uh, to, to, to human beings, I'm romantic. To Sasquatches, I just shoot you with fucking tranquilizer darts to call it a day. You're mean. Okay, go. <laughs> and then want to, you know, flirt with your mom. Um, but, um, but I did Greg. But um, it's a very romantic language. It is, very. So you expect things like Antoinette. That is a hot name. Even if the chick is ugly as sin. I was going to say, but even Spanish is a romantic language, and it's very beautiful, too. It is actually one of the yeah. romance lang- languages. French, Spanish. Latin. Latin, things like that. Yeah. Is, is, is the, Italian. The, yeah. These are very romantic mm-hmm. languages, you know? Like, um, uh, like if you, in, in Spanish, if you say, I love you. Uh-huh. And then it's, 
Te amo. Te amo. And, and it's French, it's je t'aime. And like what Ritz and I, my first wife and I said to each other all the time, is, you know, things like, Te amo mucho con todo mi corazón. Oh my God, I'm going to vomit. Demasiado. You're not that nice. <laughs> Which means, I love you with all of my heart, much too much. Oh, very romantic. Aww. Very deep in the passions. I love her with all my heart too. You know. <laughs> then you have German, <laughs> where everything sounds angry. Everything, like literally, I love you. Yeah. Exam male and female too is Liebe dich and Liebe du. Yeah, that's aggressive. Like yeah. seriously, if I was in Germany and some hot chick went Liebe dich, I'm like, uh, you know yeah, what? Leave my dick alone. <laughs> you back the hell off of me, you fucking whore. Because you I'll hit you with a beer stein, and I'll hang you with your freaking lederhosen. You'll be calling me that. Well, I, mean, I mean, I don't know much German, which I'm upset about. But my, I mean, because even to say, do you speak German, it sounds very aggressive. Sprechende Deutsch. Yeah. It's like, that is aggressive. Everything in German. Number one, yeah. every name that is on a building is like freaking a thousand letters long. You know, like. You're like, that's a fucking bakery. And you're like, um, no, no. <laughs> that's alphabet soup. Why can't you just say like bread? And I'd be good with that. Um, but everything is so. <laughs> it's weird watching German porn, by the way, because like if you watch German porn with the sound on. On the one hand, you're like, that's hot. That's a hot blonde chick, man. They're slamming. And then you, you know, you're, you're hearing them speak in German. You're like, I'm terrified. <laughs> that is scary that's, shit right there. That's not, <laughs> that's not getting busy with consensual sex. That sounds like a little bit of rape going on. <laughs> and I'm honestly I, terrified. I don't think you said yes. I don't think they did. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that there was a yes in there. No, 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 no. Couldn't been. Nine, nine. Freaking Germans, man. They're terrifying. They All are. of them. They are. So, <laughs> shut up, Jake. So, anyways, this family lived in a secluded section of the forest and isolated themselves from the rest of the local villagers. Everyone around thought they were Satanists, witches, or perhaps both. Local legend claimed Pernet was often seen roaming around the village, crawling around on all fours as if she were an animal. Now, according to the villagers, she was in this animal state of mind when she pounced on the girl. Had it not been for four-year-old Benoit, his sister would have perished that day. They considered the lethal wound to his throat his sacrifice to save his sister's life. Now, side note here. Is it just me, or does someone else have an issue with this case? Am I the only one that doesn't think it's possible, let alone probable, for a four-year-old boy to attempt to wield a knife to ward off a wolf attack? I'm telling you, man. I mean, Am I missing something? This kid was a badass. Dude, he had to have been. So after the angry this villagers. This is the child, but I think if if, if Chuck Norris met, met this kid, Chuck Norris would actually say, I concede. Chuck Norris ain't shit. Bruce Lee beat his ass twice. I saw a, uh, a this is a recent video on TikTok. It has Chuck Norris. <laughs> He's holding up a picture of him with a uh, with a tiger. Mm-hmm. You know, so I leaned down. And I pet the tiger, tiger, and I heard this this growl. And the trainer said, "Get up slowly, and back away." So the tiger got up slowly and backed away. <laughs> I Chuck Norris made a Chuck Norris joke, and I think that is just 
the best thing that on the is planet. Hilar- I mean, I will admit that's funny, but Chuck Norris and shit, Bruce Lee beat him twice. You know what? That that's only beat for the TV. Beat his ass twice. That's only for the TV, man. Chuck nah. Norris can kill Bruce Lee. By, with, Dude, you let me you, tell you how you badass Chuck Norris is. Blaspheming right now. You are blaspheming the the Bruce Lee. This is how <laughs> badass Chuck is. Chuck, okay. that, that the Chuckster is. Okay. Chuck Norris, if he chose to, could look at Bruce Lee, blink his eyes, boom, Bruce is dead. That's how badass Chuck Norris is. Mm, no, dude. No. I mean, he, I will. I mean, I guess I'm partial because I grew up watching Bruce Lee and I loved him. No, I love Bruce Lee too. I, ju- I just adore him and I, him as a person and everything he stood for is even more amazing. Did you ever watch some of the uh, the other uh, martial arts videos like American Ninja? Yes. Oh my God, those were. I miss the 80s. I actually miss those low budget martial art films. Like, nobody understands our dilemma now. It was -hmm. was me, Fred Wilcox, and a friend of ours named Brian L. Haddiff. And. uh, Brian L. Kata, what? Was it Brian L. Haddiff? No, no, no. It was a different Brian. Um, (laughs) No, I think it was Brian. Anyway, um, we were uh, almost every week. We yeah. would sit back and we would rent videos. And it was like American Ninja. We watched all those. Oh, yeah. Every Bruce Lee movie. We watched those. Uh, totally. I've um, seen every Bruce Lee film known, including including uh, the one based on his life story. Well, we even watched the one that was kind of, it was almost like a parody, but not really. The one with the black guy who was like a, a karate master named Shonuff. Yeah, I think. What I was don't that think one? that was Enter the Dragon. No, no, that was no. It was that um, was the Enter the Drag Queen. No, it was um, the Chinese Connection. I can't remember offhand. We even watched that, and then we made our way through all the freaking Friday the Thirteenths. Oh shit! Up to the time, like, and as they're coming out in yeah. the movie theaters, like when when Jason Takes Manhattan came out, Fred comes to me and he goes, "Dude, dude, dude, there's a new Friday the Thirteenth movie," and we weren't, you know, of the age where we could buy tickets. But oh. I looked old enough because I've always looked like I'm 100 years old. You are. Um, and I feel like it. And so we went and watched that. And I went, Jason Takes Manhattan? That sounds like a Broadway play. Dude, the Freddy versus Jason movie was stupid as fuck. But that I still watched awesome. it. That was awesome. Yeah, that funny. was stupid. <laughs> that was, it was retarded, man. But yeah. But I watched that on my own. But we would go and we would watch like all those movies together. Yeah. And we would rent them from the video store when you still had video cassettes. And, uh, like, we'd spend the night at each other's houses and, and watch them. Yeah. It was phenomenal. They had sleepovers, people. They did, they braided each other's hair and told stories, and whoever fell asleep first got their bra put in the freezer. No, we played D&D, and occasionally uh-huh. we would stink booze and get drunk, go figure. Uh-huh. And we would watch, like, American Ninja. And practice kissing on their hands, and... <laughs> um, No. Play truth. Oh my God! I got one about that. Play truth and dare. (laughs) Jake had this teacher named Rebecca. Oh my God! I don't. Okay, go ahead. I know what you're going to say, but yeah. I go pick him up from school and what have not. And by this time here, it was just before me and this certain teacher started getting together. And uh, I went, Jake. I'm going to kiss Miss Rebecca like this one on my hand. And out of nowhere, Jake goes. Don't kiss Miss Rebecca's hand. And I got quiet. And he goes, or her foot either. <laughs> Ew. Now, where that came from, I have no idea. Mm, oh, my obviously God. Obviously, he's that's... been watching your porn. No. no, but even better, 
was we were uh, we were driving I south on I five. Yep. <laughs> and he goes, "Daddy, there's sheep. I want a sheep." I said, "Yeah, but you got to catch one. You're going to need Velcro gloves." And he goes, "Oh." And then he goes, "Am I going to need boots?" I said, "Yeah, you're going to need rubber boots. Yeah, that's so I can sneak up behind them and go gotcha." <laughs> I laughed so hard, I actually had to pull up the side of I-5, and I was just dying. I was dying. I literally saw that younger, younger picture of your son that you posted on Facebook recently. Oh, yeah. And I cannot believe how adorable he was. I even said on there, maybe I should be nicer to him. He was cute. He was a cute kid. He was a cute teenager. And now that he's almost not a teenager, he's a fucking beast. He is. Like, seriously, half the time I want to, like, fucking club him. What the hell do you want? Why are you in my microphone, what, you nasty wait, ass you, motherfucker? What are you doing? I don't I don't understand. He's doing weird shit over here. He hasn't <laughs> showered in like fucking three Ew. years. He smells like ass and failure. So anyways, after the... Hold on. Jake's got something to say. What do you want? Going back to that sheep thing. Nowadays, when I think about the rubber boot thing, I'm all I can hear is... Squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> as I'm sneaking up on the sheep. Nowadays, I also need Velcro pants, too, though. So. Scott, you why is your son sneaking up on sheep? <laughs> I don't ask questions anymore. He's an adult. He's not my responsibility. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't, I, I don't need to know why, 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 no. <laughs> You're the reason why I drink. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, no, after the angry villagers killed Pernet for their alleged crimes, they went to the home of the family and arrested his, her sister Antoinette and their brother Pierre. They were each accused of taking the form of a wolf, attending sacrificial rituals, calling forth hailstorms of disaster, and engaging in sexual acts with demonic creatures. Antoinette was actually accused of having sexual relations with the devil in the form of a goat. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Mm. Yeah, Jake doesn't recall having sex with her. I'm going to throw up. So, despite objecting to the charges against them, Pierre was put through extreme torture measures, methods doled out by his accusers. Now, as as with anyone who hasn't been trained by the CIA, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Mossad, KGB, or any other spy organization or terrorist group, Pierre cracked under the pressure, right? To end his own suffering, he said all the accusations against him were factual. After an unspecified amount of torturous interrogations, Pierre claimed his family received supernatural wolf skins from Satan. When they put those skins on, they transformed into a werewolf. It's under torture, though. It's bullshit. I know, exactly. It's freaking exactly. bullshit. It's the same with the Salem witch trials, you exactly. know? Exactly. You know, people were tortured in the Spanish Inquisition as well. People were tortured to get the response that the torturer right. wanted. It's bullshit. It's all exactly. bullshit. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I, I mean, I kind of mentioned that later, later. But I'm over here getting fucking half drunk. Right. And now I'm all indignant and Wait, pissed off. You're half drunk on one shot? No. Oh. See this? Oh, I got my now, God- okay, you know what? I got Godzilla flask over here, bitch. Uh, no, call beer tender. Beer tender. He's cooking. You didn't ask me, bitch. <laughs> Freaking horror so, over here wants a goddamn that's right, shot. Damn it! I'm not. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a drunk. 
So, um, anyways, he said that when they were in the bestial form, they would roam the village on all fours, hunting any living creature. It's if, a good thing that women are all are on all fours. I'm just saying. When they're in your room, anyways. Hell it didn't matter yeah! Because they, they can't get out of the kennel. It, it didn't That's matter girls. if their prey was an animal lower on the food chain or a human. Not long after Pierre was taken into custody and offered his confession under duress, the villagers took his son, Jorge, into custody. After being tortured and interrogated himself, he claimed the family had, thank you, had a magical ointment containing supernatural powers to transform them into all into wolves. Pause right there. It was at a sticky bomb <laughs> like did, everybody he else. He didn't say it was a thick, sticky lubricant. He just said an ointment. So. Oh my god, I love that. It's a fucking. It was a thick, <laughs> sticky lubricant. That's what. No, you're having a hallucinogenic experience, and that lubricant wasn't to turn you into anything except for a bitch, <laughs> right? So, uh, according to him, once they had this ointment on it gave them supernatural powers that transferred transformed them into wolves and it was while he was in that form his aunts helped him kill two goats however no amount of torture under no amount of torture did he ever admit to taking the life of a human now as we've already established during that era there was a widespread belief that werewolves were real despite the mass hysteria there were still well-educated people who weren't so quick to pass judgment in fact, those skeptics maintained the werewolf syndrome resulted from a long-standing mental disorder or the product of delusions brought on by demon possession, which we know today that that is possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. I mean, because we've talked about um, Dennis Rader. Yes. And how he believed he was possessed by the... I mean, he still believes he sees demons. Yeah, he sees, he, he sees yeah. demons currently, but Factor X, which was the demon that was attached to him, has right. left. Exactly. And unlike what... I believed, and a lot of other people believed, Factor X wasn't a gene, a mutated gene he had. It was actually a demon possessing him. Demon possession, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, for the Gundalone family, Judge Henri Bogue. That is French as fuck. Very. André Bogue. H-E-N-R-I. André Bogue. B-O-G-U-E-T. Bogue. I know, dude. That's a uh, that that's like he has a superpower of being French. Right. He comes with a He's freaking, a hella French. He's hella French, man. He's got it comes yeah. with a baguette and a bad attitude. He does. He rapes people with baguettes. Oh my god. <laughs> I knew what I knew what you meant. I knew who your dad was gonna take it there. Just He's saying. that rapier, but I took it to a different level. Anyway, so I take break. He was assigned to the case. Now, he was known as the werewolf executioner. He was a well-respected judge who wrote a best-selling book about the practice of witchcraft, believing people could only take on the form of a wolf to cause destruction across the land. According to reports, by the time the Gondolans faced him in court, he'd already condemned more than 600 known werewolves to death over his prominent career. What a dick. Yeah. Now, Boguet is said to have visited Pierre, Antoinette, and Jorge while they were in jail awaiting trial. Reports indicate he witnessed them crawling around their cells on all fours and howling like dogs. He noted their legs, faces, and hands were covered in scratches, and he said Pierre, quote, bore hardly any resemblance to a man and struck all those who looked at him with horror. Now, despite the accusations from the villagers, Pierre, Antoinette, and Jorge never took on the form of a wolf while they were held in custody of the authorities. However, according to Boguet, they remained in human form because they didn't have access to their magical ointment. 
the behavior of the gondolones while they were in custody was enough to convince him they were Satan's disciples. All three were sentenced to burn at the stake for the charges against them. However, I want to point out the problems associated with werewolf syndrome weren't just isolated to France either. But before I get into my next case, because this one we're going to go back to Germany. Um, Freaking Germans. Fucking Germans. But anyways, I want to point something out here. This family lived in a secluded area in the forest, which means they probably had to hunt and forage for their food, right? You would think. In a forest. Wait a minute. Did they have Uber Eats? No, not back then. They didn't have DoorDash either. Damn it. I I researched. I Googled that. Huh? Postmates? Nah, nobody uses Postmates anymore. Oh, my bad. (laughs) I don't think. But anyways, I want to point out there. So if they're running through the forest foraging for their food... They're going to get scratches everywhere. Yeah, it makes sense, yeah. You know, so you can't tell me that that is the telltale. Oh, my God, their hands and faces were covered with scratches, so of course they were. And he bore hardly any resemblance to a man and struck all those who looked at him with horror. He was confined to a tight cell and tortured. Yeah, He's that'll not, do it. That's going to have an impact on him. I mean... I'm not, I mean, they don't even get into what the torture mechanisms were, but some of torture techniques back then were brutal. I Watching mean, televangelists. Brutal. <laughs> Watching the PTL fucking network. Jim and Tammy Faye. Yep. And, and the 700 Club. Club. <laughs> yep. That's pretty bad torture right there. I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. Nah. I'd rather take a catheter. You know, I'm just saying. Um, so. You know, so for this next case, Nigel Blundell, Rosemary Ellen Gouyer, and several other authors have written book about a series of unexplained murders and deaths. And these incidents occurred in Bedburg, Cologne, Germany, in the mid-16th century. For approximately 25 years, human corpses were randomly being discovered. Initially, the only thing the human remains had in common was the brutal mutilation inflicted by the person and or people who murdered them. Now, in actual written accounts of the Werewolf of Bedburg case, the most accurate may have been a pamphlet released by a London publisher in 1590. Although several translations were printed, only three have been accounted for. The German translation was destroyed with no additional copies made. And then there are two copies of the English translation have been said to have survived. One is actually held at the British Museum, the second in the library of the Lambeth Palace. And although the pamphlet was ignored after its publication, in 1950, Montague Summers, who we discussed earlier, rediscovered the writings. Now, this pamphlet included tales of Peter Stump. What a great name. S-T-U-M-P-P. I'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, two (laughs) P-P's. Stump. His alleged crimes and subsequent trial. According to reports, it also included statements from eyewitnesses and Stump's neighbors. Recent research conducted by historians claim Montague Summers, who we discussed earlier, reprinted the entire pamphlet. However, his focus was centered on Stump's case. Summers' reprint, along with an illustration, was included in his book, The Werewolf in Lore and Legend, on pages 274 through 284. Now, Hermann von Wensberg, because you know it's a V sound with a W there, because yeah. it's German. Very. Um, like Wachner. Um, an alderman city council member from Cologne wrote about Stump's case in his journals. There are also 
a significant number of newspaper articles which included illustrations circling around southern Germany in the same era. Now, it's believed those articles were based on the German translation of the pamphlet in question. According to historians, chances are the original records were most likely destroyed in the many battles in the region over the years that followed. Then, in 1882, an English translator and author by the name of Edward Fairfax referenced this case in his book, uh, it's Demonologia, a discourse in witchcraft as it was acted in the family of Edward Fairfax. Keep in mind, though, his, he only mentioned this case when he was writing about the persecution of his daughters in oh, okay. 1621, because apparently his daughters were persecuted for witchcraft back in the English witch, you know, witch Damn house. witches. I know. So nobody really knows when or where Peter Stump was born. Historians think they have narrowed down his birthplace to a small village of Eprath near Bedburg, Cologne, Germany. Church records from that area collected from that area collected in the era were destroyed sometime between 1618 and 1648 during the Thirty Years' War. Therefore, their best guess is he was born sometime around 1530. Now, gynecolo- genealogical research. That I got myself. That was left field. That, that's my new career choice. <laughs> Dude, whatever. Um, <laughs> leads historians to assume Stomp may have been a wealthy Protestant farmer in his little village. From what little information I could find, I determined it theorized he was a widower in the 1580s with two children. He may have had a son of an undetermined age and a daughter over the age of 15 named Sybil with the nickname Beale. The legend of Stump claims that that wasn't even Peter's true last name. However, it was derived... His last name is Pumpkin Eater. Shut up. It was derived from the German word Stumpf, S-T-U-M-P-F, and it was allegedly given to him because he had a stump where his left hand should have been. Oh, stumpy stump stump. Uh, yeah. Legend has it that when he was in werewolf form, his left paw was severed from his body, and when he transitioned back to a human, the injury did not heal, and that is said to be what ultimately determined his the wealthy farmer's guilt. However, now Stump was charged for his alleged crimes in 1589. What followed may just be history's most famous and lurid trials against a werewolf. After he was taken into custody, he was placed in what's referred to as the rack. And this is a medieval torture device that would make Mother Teresa confess to horrific crimes. Holy shit. For those who aren't aware, it's a wooden rectangular frame that sits up off the ground at an angle with a roller on the top and one on the bottom. Now, a person is affixed to the device by their ankles to one roller and their wrists are strapped to the other one. And I'm doing it over here like you can see me. And then like polar inter- bears. Yeah. And then their interrogation process begins. With every question the suspect is asked that didn't elicit the desired response, the rollers were moved in opposite directions. This movement increased the strain placed on his knees, hips, elbows, and shoulders. If it had gone on long enough, he would have experienced excruciating pain and dislocated joints. However, if he was forced to sustain it over a, a, a you know, a long amount of time, his muscles would have stretched to a point where they would no longer have been effective for normal function. So he would have had to crawl around on all fours. Just saying. That makes sense. Yeah. So after enduring an unspecified amount of time being interrogated on the rack, Stump offered a torture induced confession. He told his interrogators ever since he was 12 years old, he'd been practicing, quote, black magic. And during his supernatural journeys, he had encountered Satan. 
During their meeting, the devil gifted Stump with a girdle or belt with magical powers. No, Scott, it's not that. <laughs> on his body, he transformed, quote, into the likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparkled like fire, a mouth great and wide with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty bones. <laughs> I got one of those. A huge body? Mighty bone. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. He claimed once he removed the belt and gir- or girdle from his body, he transitioned back to his human form. Once Stump confessed to his, quote, crimes, he told the judge he had hidden the magical belt in a specific valley location. And when a search party, and it's, it's important to note here that when a search party was sent to that area, they couldn't find anything. Go However, figure. Yeah, but then villagers surmise it's because the devil recovered it so he couldn't be caught. The devil did it. <laughs> So for approximately 25 years before Peter Stump was taken into custody, his list of alleged transgressions indicated he was, quote, an insatiable bloodsucker. According to public accusations, he feasted on the meat of sheep, goats and lambs. But his appetite didn't stop there. He remember (laughs) Mary had a little lamb had (laughs) it was delicious, delicious. Oh, don't let me forget to take hummus today. Um, Go. So I digress. So, um, but his appetite didn't stop there. He also consumed the flesh of children, women, and men. Under the threat of continued torture, he claimed he murdered and consumed the flesh of approximately 14 young children. Yet his carnivorous atrocities didn't stop there. He also admitted to attacking two pregnant women, ripping the fetus out of their wombs before he, quote, ate their hearts panting and raw. He also described the taste of the unborn flesh as dainty morsels. Now, according to legend, one of the 14 children that he killed and consumed was actually his own son. He allegedly claimed he feasted on the brain of his offspring. Although he claimed his love for his son was unconditional, his primal need to consume him when flesh overpowered him. Apparently, on the day of his son's death, the two had gone for a walk in the woods. Under the seclusion of the tree, Stump morphed into a wolf-like creature before feasting on his child's flesh. Now, the charges against Stump didn't just comprise multiple murders and acts of cannibalism. Reports also indicate he had sexual relations with his own teenage daughter. And ironically, she was charged with similar crimes and met a similar fate. Stump also allegedly had relations with another relative, which was incestuous according to the letter of the law. So keep in mind, Stump claimed to have committed many horrific crimes after being tortured for an unspecified amount of time. However, according to the historians, his worst offense may not have been murdering and killing children or his own child. It may have been the fact that he said he had sexual relations with his succubus, which was given to him as a gift by Satan. Eh, the gift so, keeps on giving. No, that's what gets me. It's like, okay, so you murdering children, including your own, and having incestuous relationships with your child and another relative does not conduce, does not even amount to the horror of you having sex with the sex- succubus? Yeah, that works for me. That tracks. <laughs> it's like, okay, people. <laughs> so on October 31st, 1589, Peter Stump, his daughter Sybil, and incestuous mistress Catherine were condemned to the most brutal execution in history. Stump's executioners began by placing him on the breaking wheel. Once he was strapped onto this torture device, they took red-hot pinchers and tore the flesh from ten different areas of his body. But 
They didn't stop there. They then ripped more flesh from his legs and arms. After that, they took the blunt end of an axe and used it to break all of his limbs. Because according to a strong superstition in that era, someone with his alleged supernatural abilities could also return from the dead. The only way to prevent their resurrection was to break all of their bones, especially their movable limbs. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. So with chunks of his flesh torn from his body, every limb broken, his executioners ended the brutality by severing his head and burning his corpse at the stake. Now, before he was tortured to death, Catherine and Sybil had already been strangled to death before their corpses were skinned. Their dead bodies were placed upon the pyre next to Stump, and they were all set on fire together. Christ yeah. sakes, freaking Germans, man. I know. Wait, in an effort, they are brutal. In an effort to prevent others from committing the same atrocities, the authorities in Stump's village erected a macabre monument. They manufactured a breaking wheel with a figure of a wolf on the front. That wheel was then attached to a pole and placed at the location where Stump and his alleged accomplices were burned. To place an exclamation point on their public warning, they mounted Stump's severed head on the top of that pole. That's no way to get ahead. Mm, not at all. <laughs> or get head. I know, right? So then, in the early 17th century, by 1603, approximately 600 or more people were executed. Accused, tried, and executed for allegedly being a demonic shapeshifter. Even though some very influential people began to speak out against the brutality, torturous interrogations and unfair trials continued to take place. In fact, in the mid-18th century, during the early summer months of 1764, in the eastern region of Gavendun, France, Marie Jeanne, or Jeanne, I think it's Jeanne Vallée, claimed she was attacked by a creature while herding cattle in a nearby forest. The description she gave of the beast of Gavendun was like a wolf, yet not a wolf. She claimed her life was spared when the bulls she was herding charged at the beast and ran it off. Not long after she reported the incident near the small village of Les Habacs, 14-year-old Jean Boulet was found murdered. Her death was blamed on the mysterious beast. For the next three years, villagers in the region were in a panic as the attacks and deaths attributed to the monster increased. The fear became so great, King Louis XV tried to intervene by offering a reward to whoever put an end to the beast's activities. Now, legend has it the wolf-like creature attacked vulnerable people, women, and children while walking erect. Historians claim its reign of terror was brought to an end on June 19, 1767, when a hunter by the name of Jean Chastel shot it with a large caliber bullet specially made with the silver of Virgin Mary's medals. Now, during this period, I actually referred as, I mean, I think I talked to you as I call it the Catholic Crusades. Men weren't the only ones persecuted. Although I mentioned a few earlier, there were many war women who, under duress from torture, confessed to taking part in occult-type ceremonies. During the rituals being performed, a woman claimed to have murdered animals, children, or other women as a sacrificial offering. Now, in Henri Bouguet's book, An Examine of Witches, which was published in 1603, he talks about the case of Francois Secretion. I, I can't even pronounce it right. Apparently, she was accused by other villagers of practicing black magic and taken into custody. Bouguet described her demeanor while she was in prison and interrogated as, to look at her, you would have thought she was the best woman in the world, for she was always talking of God, of Virgin Mary, and of the holy saints of paradise. And she had in her hand a long rosary, which she pretended to say without interruption. 
Now, as he continued to relate the circumstances of Francois's trial, one would get the impression she was a plain and desperate woman who held tight to her belief that God she devoted herself to would deliver her from her persecutors. However, that isn't the way he wanted his readers to think of her. That was made apparent when he talked about how her rosary cross was, quote, defective. He doesn't say what made it defective until almost 40 chapters later when he casually mentioned the cross from the center was missing so her prayers weren't being interceded by the saints. Bogey also stated that, quote, although she strove her utmost to do so, she wasn't able to shed real tears. As a result, she, quote, was more closely imprisoned and certain threats were used against her. When she still wouldn't confess to the charges against her, torture remained their only option. Finally, she admitted to having sexual relations with a demonic entity that had taken the shape of a black man. Now, basically, a plain and simple woman was persecuted because she was deemed by others to be defective. (laughs) I knew you were going to go there. Her accusers locked her away in a close quarter cell and threatened her with violence. When she refused to bend to their will, they tortured her until she broke and told them what they wanted to hear. It was at that point she was executed. Much like being married. What, tortured or broke? Both. And then they just tell them what they want to hear. Until <laughs> so they shut the fuck up. Until they shut the hell up. You're so dumb. So Francois' persecutors may, I mean, this is my opinion here. Francois' persecutors may have felt their actions were justified by the power given them by the Catholic Church at the time. But make no mistake, she was executed because she was different. There's a reason the authorities cannot use force when questioning a suspect. Because this confession given under torture or the threat of torture is not a true and valid confession. Right? We will say anything to get it to stop. So... Thankfully, times have changed, and the Catholic Crusades lost their hold over people. Who not by more. much. Have you not been married? <laughs> That's true. Well, I I have been once, but I'm not a record. I'm not a serial groom like you are. <laughs> so, you're not a serial killer. You're a serial husband. It just means that I'm not afraid of commitment. But you're divorced, so obviously there's something going on there. Oh, no, I fuck up relationships. I'm just not afraid of commitment. <laughs> I'm not afraid to commit to you. I just will fuck this up. Oh, totally. <laughs> so anyways, so it lost their hold over people who put more stock in what science and medicine was telling them. Historians actually believe, though, that Jean Grenier's case from before was a pivotal moment in judicial history that eventually led to those cases being considered more of a psychiatric issue and not the influence or possession of demons. Right? And then in 1824, there was 29-year-old Antoine Lager. He went to live in the woods by himself, and apparently he was not content just to live off the animals. He said to have lured a girl into his cave and killed her. Apprehended, he was tried in in the district court of Versailles, at which time it came out that he'd eaten parts of his victim. Alienists actually diagnosed him as being psychotic, which I can agree with that. Right? Just given that. I don't. I haven't yeah, dug into totes, his case further. Totes, totes. So, but then, by the end of the century, in 1897, uh, they called him a tramp. But, you know, that means, like, a hobo, I guess. Yeah, a hoo-boo. Yeah. 
by the name, a 29-year-old named Joseph Vosher was tried in France for 11 murders. He was arrested after a 17-year-old shepherd was found strangled and stabbed with his belly ripped open. Now, Vasher actually wrote a confession for the judge claiming that he suffered from an irresistible impulse and had committed murder during frenzies. He thought that having been bitten by a rabid dog when he was a child, his blood had been poisoned and his victims died, he said. As his victims died, he said he drank the blood from their necks. Now, I want to point out here that that might have very well been a possibility. Perhaps, Because rabies, well, yeah, but rabies itself, if it's not, like, vaccinated against can turn people, I mean, make them psychotic. No, I'm going to remember that. You, have you had your shots? I'm going to punch you in Have you been neck. to the vet? I hurt. I will hurt you. I'm With too, your rabies? I hate you. Just saying, I don't see the rabies tag around your neck. Just a little concerned. I don't like you anymore. So a team of doctors examined him. In the end, because his memory was clear about the crimes and because he had he had run off, they decided that he demonstrated sufficient awareness to be judged sane and therefore responsible for what he had done. Yet, he did have a history of what they called confused talk, where he suffered spells of delirium and persecution mania and extreme irritability. Three years earlier, he had actually been treated in an asylum when he killed a woman and had sex with her corpse. What's wrong with that? He had also once... He had also once removed the genitalia from a boy and girl. If anyone had a claim to insanity, he probably did at that time. Um, He was convicted, and within two months, he was executed. Now, here's the ironic thing about him, is that while he was out there committing his crimes in France, the book Dracula was published in England, which introduced shocking images of predatory life suckers who commanded wolves and could shift into any shape they wanted to. Sweet. You know Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah. Very familiar. Yeah, so I just have two little, two, three little sections, and I'm almost done here. So there have been many explanations for werewolf delusion or syndrome. Um, from, it ranged from it's a disease in which people develop photosensitivities to rabies to consuming hallucinogens via rancid grains. Hanging out with Sasquatches, you do a podcast with you that happened to be your executive assistant. Um, yeah, no, there's all kinds of reasons. I know that, like, when I get too close to you, I start feeling like I'm going to get infected. So do you want to... I'm going to hit you both. Could be the fleas, yeah. I'm going to hurt you both. Listen to me. Definitely be the fleas. Now, the cures, check this out. The cures for this werewolf delusion range anywhere from purging yourself, like vomiting, to rubbing opium in your nostrils. Hell yes. Let's break out the opium. Now... Nor ch- uh, yet one of none of those cures would affect someone suffering from mood or psychotic disorders, nor change the appetites of a sexual predator given to violence. It's possible that some quote werewolves were just simply sadistic killers who found a culturally accepted image through which to act out their fantasies. Oh, totally. I mean, totes. There, there, there's fucking there's op, there's opportunistic people. Oh, of course. I mean, and everybody will be like, you know what? They're blaming all this stuff on this. I can claim this and get away with it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Just like, and, and it's not everybody. Like, um, okay, let's go with a recent issue, which is the uh, the, the the transgenders. Okay. Okay. Penises with the penises. Um, I'm gonna get sued over that one. I know it. Yeah, chicks with dicks. Um, anywho's, 
you know, the the big thing though, like seriously, was like people were like, well, I don't want no guy who I self identifies as a woman going into the bathroom because I'll shoot him because my daughter, my wife is in there. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah, that is a, that might happen. Okay, but nine over ninety percent, ninety nine percent of transgenders are very docile. Very. Yes. There's no dude who wants no. to become a woman who's sitting there going, I'm only doing this yeah. so I can go in there and look at your daughter and your yeah. wife naked and try exactly. to and try to assault them. You know? Exactly. It, it does happen. Right. It does happen. But the chances of it actually happening? Well, it, it does happen because some sick pedophile uses it to his advantage. Right. But the but, chances of it happening yeah. are fairly freaking yeah. low, man. But, but the chances of it actually occurring with a true transgender individual is slim to none. Yeah, they got enough fucking problems going on well, without wanting to eye yeah. out your daughter and your wife. Well, like, seriously. Back in the late 90s, I worked for a telemarketing company down in Milwaukee and we had a transgender working with us. And she dressed in dresses, you know, wore makeup, high heels, everything, and preferred to use the ladies' restroom. But she, she said it best. She goes, I don't want to use the ladies' restroom to make you uncomfortable. I want to use it because as a woman, I feel uncomfortable going to the bathroom in front of men. She goes, would you use a men's bathroom? I said, only if I were desperate. And she goes, exactly <laughs> my point. Actually, th- there's a whole reason what, for the perspective I have on the whole gay community. Right. Um, so before Maritza and I met, I was dating another Mexican and her name was Lupe. And so you're a serial Mexican dater? I totally met. I love the Mexican chicks. I know. I, you know what? Freaking I like the amazing. Mexican culture, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Me too. And the food is amazing. Food so is um, she has a cousin and his, his name is Martin. I had no idea he was gay. So I go over to his house because he's my drinking buddy, man. I go over to his house and what have not. And that's where I met Robert. Knock on the door. Guy answers. Oh, my God. Who are you? Um, I'm Scott. Where's Marty? Um, he's sleeping right now. I go, who the hell are you? My name's Robert. Martin and I have been together for like three years. I'm his boyfriend. You just tell him I stopped by, motherfucker. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) So at this time here, I'm still, I'm still, I'm processing all this information, right? So a week or so goes by and I go and I pick up Marty and we're driving. And I go, I got a question. He goes, before you ask, does it matter? And I went, holy fuck, I got to think about this shit now. Thanks, asshole. <laughs> and I thought about it. No, it doesn't. That's right. I'm the same dude. We're still drinking. Yeah. Buddies. I went, holy fuck, you're right. Okay. So then Robert became one of my drinking buddies, too. And we all fucking drank like a lot of tequila. <laughs> I think the ones that took you to the gay bars. No, that was uh, Brian and... Uh, uh, Oh, fuck. I got his head, my, his face in my head. I can't remember his goddamn name. You got name. his head in your face? What? Yeah, that was it. Give him head. Um, and Victor and... Uh, um, damn it. I can't remember my upstairs neighbors now from, from Palm Springs. Um, they, they're the ones I went to gay bar hopping with. And it was... Uh, Jeff, that was his name. Oh, okay. it, it was amazing. I love gay bar hopping. Oh, I do too. I, I told you that that's... I, I would never... I would only buy one drink. One drink. Because as soon as, like, especially because the one we went to in downtown Portland, the guy who was always on the dance floor was with the DJ. And he was so funny. I mean, the first time I met him, he had no, he had on one of those mesh shirts on. Like I always wear. With these, like, really high-cut blue jean ripped shorts. Oh, like me. 
and yeah, and everything, and a belly button ring that lit up. I mean, like twinkled in the. I mean, like flashed and everything. No, he didn't have nipple tassels. But anyways, when he found out I had enough tequila in me, he knew that I get on the dance floor, and he hated being out there alone. So as soon as I walked in and I ordered a tequila, he'd go. I got the rest of them. Come out. That's like, okay. freaking awesome. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's like, you know what? No, I, I absolutely love, love, you know, and it's, I don't want to sound like, you know, mean or anything, but some homosexuals are the nicest people I have ever met in my life. Totally. I, I, nicest I work, people. I work with one, um, and I make him sound like a different species, but his name's Charles and amazing guy. Amazing. Love Charles to death. When I was going through my divorce with my last ex-wife, um, him and I started talking. And, and we've talked since I've worked there for like nine years. Right. But, um, you know, and we started talking a lot more about it. And uh, he gave me sp- some some great advice and, and, and good perspective. Really great guy. Yeah. Every gay friend I've ever had has been yeah. nothing but amazing. Exactly. And it's like right around the t- same time I met you, though, um... I went to uh, the RuPaul Dragon Drive, which was an outside show in Clackamas. That was after. Was I know? I said, I said right around the same time I met oh, you. It's okay. like right after I met you. But you yeah. want to know how I know that? Because it's in the goddamn company fucking shared I drive. In, I put him in my personal file on the shared are drive. They? I haven't checked in a while, but I guess the last month I'm looking. Why are there drag queens in my well, goddamn shared file? To put him, I kept forgetting to put him in my personal file on the shared drive. But yeah, no, I put him in there. Okay. But anyways, it's like, and so I actually got, was actually fortunate enough to go on stage with one of my favorite drag queens. And she's, she's fucking terrifying. I just want to say that. Yeah, she's, she does more of the goth style, but you know, she was like, cause it's like other people want to come up there too and everything. And I was like, I got to go. Some other people want up here. She goes, this is your time. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. I said, you are so amazing. She goes, no, you are. She goes, I just want you to, you know, because it's obvious, you know, I'm not a drag queen. Shut up, Scott. Okay. Like goes, Live the dream because goes, we, we, we say nay nay, but go ahead. But she did. She said, thank you for supporting us. I said, of course I do. You know, because I believe that everybody should live their, their best life as long as they're not hurting people. <coughs> it, the, and her dressing in a goth outfit and putting on makeup does not offend me. And I'm, it doesn't hurt anybody. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. So, like, <clears throat> one of the venues, it's a, it's not one of the premier venues in Portland, but we've played there several oh, yeah. times. Uh, Eastside Bar and Grill. Mm-hmm. It's now being renamed the Misfits or Mi- Misfits. Yeah, Misfits Be- Lounge or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because it was bought out uh, and it's got new owners and they got a lot of drag queen shows. And drag king. And yeah. drag kings. Yes. Um, I saw that when we were playing there last time with the, uh, with the announcement of, of, uh, of what's coming on. And they've, they've, they've caught a lot of flack on it. And here's my thing, man, is that let people be people. Yeah, exactly. If you want to be a drag queen, do it. You know, and it's you know, not affecting anybody. It doesn't hurt me. True. And we need, and I will honestly say this, we need more drag queen menus in Portland because Darcel's not going to live forever. Oh, that's true. That's He's true. already 90-some years old and literally in the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest living drag queen. To still perform occasionally. Jesus Christ. I didn't even yeah. know it was a real drag queen. Yeah. But, he's um, like 90 some. The, yeah. the owner of the uh, of the venue. So the owner of the the owners of the venue had an issue with um, a promoter. Okay. Correct. And I'm not calling anybody. No, no. By any means. No. I happen to like this person a lot. Yes. Um, I like this person. I like her family. Yes. Um, you know, they, they, these are really great people. Really great people. Yes. Yeah. I, I love them to death. Um, but. There, there, there was a falling out. 
Yeah. And it was a big issue. Um, and uh, we will still perform there. Yeah, a venue's a venue. Um, well, I prefer not to sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but I digress. Yeah, I digress. <laughs> I've, I've sat down and actually had drinks with David, um, who's one of the owners. I know. When you sent me his picture that one day, I'm like, why is he sending me this guy's picture so randomly? sexy bitch. He did. You said, this is the sexy. I'm like, I don't know why you're sending me this. Oh, we were were getting half drunk, man. (laughs) Hell a nice guy, man. Love him to death. And the other owner who, God dang it, her name just slipped my mind. Sophie. Sophie. Sophie is amazing. She's amazing. She is so funny. I am secretly in love with Sophie. Right. Like, well, for real. Yeah, because at the last show, she had seen my son before. She'd actually carted him at the first show that they had when they first bought the bar and everything. And you then, know we were the first band to play there, yeah, right? You were the, yeah, you were the first band to pay, play right after they bought it. Yep. And it was so funny because she came out and she, my son's standing outside, right? And she goes, I did not know you were that damn tall. She's small, <laughs> man. She's itty-bitty. She is. No. She's like two feet tall or some she shit. Is. She's like, yeah, she's shorter than I am. Shut up, Scott. You're 50 feet tall because you're a goddamn gorilla-looking fucking motherfucker. So, anyway, you know what? You guys can both bite me. So, anyways, doctors... That's how you get Sasquatches, I'm just saying. <laughs> or rabies. That Dr. Steven Giangelo, G-I-A-N-N-A-N-G-E-L-O, addresses the fact that serial killers who derive a joy or pleasure from their killing in a book called The Psychopath psychopathology of serial murder he says that they experience quote a perverse pervasive lost sense of self and intimacy an inadequacy of identity a feeling of no control now these things then manifest in an ultimate act of control which is taking somebody's life now such killers develop their deviant sexual motivations becoming and become consumed by those fantasies that ish uh, that it instigate the initial murder. So when they find reward in that, they continue to look for other opportunities to act it out again, which creates then further deviance. And this form it takes is influenced by whatever image or object has a sexual, uh, I guess, like red button, hot button for that fantasy. Oh, so like my son and goats. Yes, pretty much. So bestial paraphilias, which is anybody with a deviant sexual nature, encourage savage attacks are obviously potentially dangerous, right? I mean, we found that with... I mean, I don't think Richard Trenton Chase got his sexual gratification from his crimes because he truly believed he was dying if he did not consume somebody's blood. Right, right, right. You know, but some psychologists have found that the case of lycanthropy to be an interesting study, to say the least. Far from being non-existent, there are still people who believe they have changed into a beast. Now, not all people who suffer from the delusion of being a wolf actually kill people. Yet cases from psychiatric literature over the past, like, three decades helps us to understand something about their disorder. Among those cases, the cases noted in a Can- Canadian Psychiatric Association journal and that American count journal. That doesn't count Canadian. And an American journal of psychiatry, psychiatry. There's three cases specifically. One is Mr. H. He's 21. He was convinced that after taking a combined dose, and this is where we get into the drug hallucination aspect of it. He was convinced that after he took a dose of LSD combined with strychnine, he became a wolf. He said he'd actually watched the 
fur sprout out on his hands and face, and it wasn't long before he felt the urge to chase and consume rabbits. Now, he went through therapy. He said he heard voices, which he attributed to being from Satan, and believed that he actually had supernatural powers. Now, toxicological tests assisted his doctors by diagnosing him with toxicosis. They gave him antipsychotic medication to which he responded, but then he left therapy and nothing more was heard of him. So that tells you that, yeah, I'm pretty sure drugs had something to do with some of these people, right? Oh, shit, yeah. You know, goes back to that hallucinogenic thing. Then 37-year-old Mr. W, he actually behaved like a werewolf with werewolf myths about howling at the moon, growing out his hair and beard, and sleeping in strange places outside. Um, I've slept in a lot of strange places. (laughs) Outside, inside? Yeah. Overside? Underside? On the side, (laughs) upside down, all kinds Ah! of sides. I don't even want to know. So a brain biopsy on him actually revealed he had a deterioration of his cerebral tissue. And he responded positively to antipsychotic medications, but he continued to show a mental age far below that which he exhibited before his psychosis set in. So his disease was attributed to brain damage. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, Well, we've talked about frontal lobe damage, and that takes away most of your inhibitions. So then there's 49-year-old Ms. B., she was having consistent fantasies about wolves, and she eventually became to believe she was actually morphing into one. She would suddenly strip naked, drop on all fours at a party, or gnaw for hours at the bedpost during the night. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> Scott, you gnaw at the bedpost to get away. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> no, she believed, she truly believed she was possessed by the devil. And she felt powerless to stop her cravings and convulsion, compulsions. She was put on medication and showed improvement, except during a full moon phase. That's when she looked into a mirror. She claimed she saw a wolf's head. Eventually, she was released from the hospital when it appeared she had been freed from her delusions. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so there are actual, you know, psych psychiatric cases that can be attributed to this. Okay, and I'll give it that, but I still right. say that lycanthropy is a real thing. Oh, no, I, I believe you. I believe, I like I said, I conceded to your point to somewhat. So anyways, in addition to psychological issues, there also appears to be a biological manifestation that's responsible for making some people grow a thick matting of hair on their faces and upper bodies. This is actually, it's true. I mean, because they... Like, uh, like the bearded woman and the wolf boy in circus sideshows back in the day. I was going to call it getting old, but okay. Oh, my God. Anyways, apparently Dr. Brian K. Hall, a biologist at some university in Canada, gathered 19 individuals and took blood samples. He found that a mutant gene was responsible for the condition, and in some cases it had been inherited, showing up in several generations of a single family. So, hey, it kind of goes to the fact of that guy from the X the X Men that you know turns into the blue guy. Okay, Beast, I'll go with I think that. Is what his name is? Whatever his name is, nobody gives a shit about him. Right. Then Dr. Richard Knoll, a clinical psychologist who edited the book Vampires, Werewolves, and Demons, includes reports of lycanthropy from clinical literature. He states that since 1975, there have been at least 18 documented cases. Six of them involve people with delusions about being wolves, 
and the rest were a collection of other animals. Now, diagnosis most commonly given to the behavior of these pe people was actually bipolar disorder, but bipolar one because they had the delusional depression and schizophrenia. Now, he believes that lycanthropy more closely resembles zoanthropy or zoanthropy, which is the delusion that one has been transformed into an animal, which he says may be better described as a disassociative disorder. Now, among his papers, he reprints as one from Paul Keck and others, which was published in an eight, 1988 volume of Psychological Medicine. That <laughs> article says 12 patients with diagnosed lycanthropy were studied. The manifestations ranged in duration from one day to 13 years, and the patients ranged in age from 16 to 38. They had all been found at McLean Hospital from a survey of 5,000 psychotic cases. Now, there were 10 males and two females. Most of them had been diagnosed with either delusional depression or schizophrenia, although some other disorders were present as well. So the mental health experts involved in the study concluded that lycanthropy was not specific to any one psychotic disorder, psychiatric disorder. Seven of the 12 people experienced a complete, what they said was a complete remission, and only two were unresponsive to the treatment. So according to that report, like other curious and memorable syndromes, lycanthropy persists as an occasional but colorful feature of severe and occasionally fictitious psychosis. However, it appears that the delusion of being transformed into an animal may bode no more ill than any other delusion. So a lot of people recently have been trying <laughs> to attribute it more to you know, the um, hallucinogenic psych psychiatric disorders. Right, right, right. Right. But then in next week's, the final episode, I'm going to get on into uh, four more cases that they talk about after these studies. Sweet. Yeah. So to me, this these cases are very interesting because like you said, over time, if the if multiple cultures who have no contact with each other are reporting the same stories something's got to be there right exactly there, there has to be something to the story exactly it can't just be people because that are legend all full of shit. based off truth right with embellishments yeah 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 totes so but yeah i agree with i mean I, like i said i can agree with you we done with this episode i am done i'm about ready to fall asleep but yeah i'm done all right remember you can send us an email at brutal nation at twisted blue llc.com check us out on medium crime beat on medium and wherever you get your blogs, uh, get on to uh, Facebook, the Facebooks. The Facebook. And join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Join in the chat, man. Talk to us. Tell me what you're thinking. And uh, if you're an Asian girl, send me those new pictures. Stay away. No, definitely. <laughs> I, I warn you, stay away. You won't have to stay in a kennel or anything. It's amazing. Um, Christ, I'm a burning house. You to are God. going to. There's no redeeming you, man. This show's copyrighted 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And if you're hearing this on anybody else's program, they're lying, thieving bastards. bastards. And we will see you guys later on. Bye bye. Bye, everybody.